This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. Well, here we are in a brand new year, and we're still offering up old material. But what old material? You know, I've had a ball researching these shows and writing the scripts that surround them. Sometimes, as you've probably noted, there's scant time to mention the show's name and stars, let alone really good in any depth. It's simply a matter of timing. I've heard from several listeners who have suggested shows that have been in their favorites file, and I'm happy that I've been able to dig some of those classic shows up. Shows like Dark Fantasy, Hermit's Cave, and The Lives of Harry Lyme. You'll be hearing from them in weeks to come. Oh, yeah, uh, I was an FBI for the Communist Party. That's another one that's on the way. Okay, so tonight is one of those evenings where I can spend a little bit of time on one of the leads of a radio series. And the spotlight falls on William Boyd and his portrayal of Hopalong Cassidy. In the early writings, the character was rude, dangerous, and rough-talking. He had a wooden leg, which caused him to walk with a little hop, hence the nickname. From 1935, the character, as portrayed by movie actor William Boyd in films adapted from Mulford's books, it was transformed into a clean-cut, sarsaparilla-drinking hero. Sixty popular films appeared, only a few of which were loosely based on Mulford's stories. As portrayed on the screen, white-haired Bill Hopalong Cassidy was usually clad strikingly in black, including his hat, an exception to the Western film stereotypes that only villains wore black hats. He was reserved and well-spoken with a sense of fair play. He was often called upon to intercede when dishonest characters uh, took advantage of honest citizens. Hoppy and his white horse, Topper, usually traveled through the West with a couple of companions, one, the outspoken, comically awkward, George Gabby Hayes. A few uh, actors of future prominence actually appeared in Cassidy films, notably Robert Mitchum, who appeared in seven films at the beginning of his career. The 66 Hopalong Cassidy pictures were filmed by independent producers who released the films through the studios. The first Hoppies, as the films were known, were distributed by Paramount Pictures to favorable returns, and United Artists was the distributor after Paramount. They were noted for fast action and outdoor photography. And, of course, Cassidy uh, wanted to retain the rights to these shows because one of the producers wanted to knock the uh, series off. But, to his credit, Hopalong Cassidy uh, actually gambled his future on uh, the show, mortgaging most of what he owned to buy the character rights from Mulford and the backing of movies from Sherman. So, let's go back to 1951 and hear the episode Devil El Diablo. (laughs) 
with action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. The ring of the silver spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early West. Hopalong Cassidy, the same hoppy you cheer in motion pictures, and the same California you've laughed at a million times. Raw courage and quick shooting have built a legend around this famous hero. Hopalong is a name to be feared, respected, and admired. For this great cowboy rides the trails of adventure and excitement. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy and Andy Clyde as California. What's our story this time, Hoppy? We call this the devil in El Diablo. It was early February when California and I threw our diamond hitches on two pack horses and started the long journey to the eastern slopes of towering Mount Diablo. We were headed for Sulphur Valley, and that's a third of the way to Diablo's top. There we were supposed to rendezvous with a party of army officers who had started from the other side and should have reached Diablo's summit and descended again by the time we got there. But they hadn't. When we reached our destination, we saw no one. Sulphur Valley was as desolate as ever and quite deserted. Whoa, there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Boy. Well, looks like nobody's here yet, Hoppy. Ah, so I see. I wonder... Well, nothing to worry about, I guess. Likely the climb took longer than I expected. Well, while we're waiting, let's set up camp and get a fire going. Sure, sure. Know any of these fellas we're supposed to meet? No, I never met them. Put that thing over there. All I know is they wanted some guide. General Harrison arranged it. Mm-hmm. General Harrison. <laughs> Wonder if he's crazy, too. Crazy? What are you talking about? Well, look up there. Never thought anything of it till we got here, Hoppy. But just take a look. Hmm. <laughs> That's a real mountain. <laughs> sure you is. can't see the top of it for clouds. And look at all that ice and snow. Yeah. Good thing we're dressed heavy like this. Climb up there, <laughs> you'd have to be crazy. Oh, well, they're mapping it. Sure, sure. That's just what we need. A map of all that snow up there. No, you got it all wrong, California. They're just mapping the valleys and passes. Climbing to the top was their own idea. If they make it, they'll be the first. Uh, where do we go after they get here, Hoppy? Uh, off over there? Yeah, all through that hill country over there. They're mapping that, too. That's where they need us. Well, they're paying for it, but it seems to me that, uh, 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 Hoppy, there's something been sticking in my crawl. Yeah, what's that? Didn't we used to hear about this here Mount Diablo quite a lot? Yeah. Seems to me we did. Just can't recollect in what connection. This is where the devil used to hang out. I, I should think so. Hoofs and a forked tail is just what's needed in this part of the country. Uh, but I wasn't joking. Uh, what I wasn't what... joking either. The devil was the name of an outlaw. Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, by golly. Now I remember. Hmm. That was a couple of years ago, weren't it? Yeah, just about. Don't hear him no more. Uh, wonder what happened to him. Uh, no one seems to know. Maybe he's dead. Some people think he might have been killed by his own followers. Stole a lot of money at one time or another, you know. So most people think he slipped across the border and changed his name. Yeah, I see. He used to raid the mining towns over north. Yeah, yeah, I recollect that. Called him the devil because he'd a picture of the devil tattooed on him somewhere, didn't he? Yeah, I heard that, I think. Wonder why he wanted to hang out in the middle of this chunk of desolation. Ah, uh, this just suited his book, California. Whenever the law showed up, he just started climbing. No one ever seemed very anxious to follow. I can believe that, all right. I wouldn't neither. Wait a but second, I... California. Hold it. What is it? Uh, what's the matter? 
I saw something moving over there. Uh, m- moving? Uh, you sure it was moving? Yeah, I thought... Uh, then, uh, let's move. Uh, the other way. California, wait! One of the officers. It looks like he's in trouble. Come on. Hello there. What's happened here? Uh, oh. Who are you? I'm Cassidy. This is California Carlson. But what happened... Cassidy, am I glad to see you. I'm Lieutenant Martin. The others... The other others? Yes, what about them? Hey, it's a trap, Cassidy. 10,000 feet up, the rock slide, just below the summit. You... Yeah. Yes? You'll have to go after them, Cassidy. You'll have to go after them or... Well, they'll die. Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story... The Devil and El Diablo. It is now nearly an hour since Lieutenant Martin arrived with the news that his companions had been trapped by a rock slide just below Diablo's icy summit. His descent has torn his clothing to shreds. He is frostbitten, scratched, and bruised. Hoppy and California have been working desperately to revive him. And now... Oh, oh. he's coming too, California. Mm. Martin, Lieutenant Martin, can you hear me? How are you feeling? Oh, rotten. But better than I expected it. Cassidy, what's up? Sorry, Lieutenant, but I'll have to ask you some questions. Were any of your friends injured by the slide? I can't tell you for sure, Cassidy, but I don't think so. I think it came closer to getting me than it did them. I started down ahead of them to figure out the way to go. Lucky I did, though. If I hadn't, I'd have been trapped there with them. Slide wiped away part of the ledge they were on so they couldn't go either forward or back. How long do you think they can hold out? Oh, it's hard to say. Several days, I should think. The, the worst is the food and the cold. They were low on grub anyway, and up there, sleeping bags don't help much. Those winds cut right through. How long do you think it'll take us to reach them? Oh, three days. If we hurried, maybe we could make it in two. Then we'll make it in two. What kind of a climb will we have? Oh, pretty nasty. Plenty of ice and snow. Bad winds. Yeah. There's places where you'll have to go straight up, chipping out your handholds with a pick. Most of the time, you'll be working across the face of a pretty nasty drop. Maybe two or three thousand feet. Ah, uh, we'll make it. You draw some sort of a map, so we'll know how to find them. Oh, nothing doing. I'm going along. But you can't. Look at the condition you're in, man. You... Uh... Why, how much mountain climbing have you done, Cassidy? Well, not much. But that doesn't mean that... On we... this kind of a climb, it means plenty, Cassidy. Now, don't, don't fool yourself. And don't fool yourself about me. I'm tough. I'm not in near as bad shape as maybe I look. You give me one good night's sleep, and then I'll be as ready to go as anybody. You couldn't start before morning anyhow. You're a good man, Lieutenant. Uh, I, I heard you're a good man. Doggone if you ain't both good men. And Hoppy, you can depend on me, too. Uh, don't you fret about a thing while you're gone. I'll be guarding this camp like it was made out of solid gold. Then when you get back... You're uh, coming along. I said, uh, when you get back... I'll... I said you're coming along. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought you said. Well, it's been a good life, Hoppy. Why should I complain because it has to end so soon? Hoppy! Hey! Hey, wait for me! We're waiting. This is where we're camping tonight. Shh. Oh. Shh. Ah, tomorrow the climbing really gets tough. 
That's when we have to start working up the face of those cliffs. How do you feel about mountain climbing now? Hoppy, Hoppy, I've changed my mind. Oh? Yeah, yeah. Yesterday when I thought about it, I was scared to die. Now, now I wish I had. California, don't stop there. Keep going. Kyle, I can't. I'm stuck. You're not stuck. You're scared. You haven't much choice. Either you climb five feet or drop a thousand. Close, Cassidy. We swing across this drop here, and then we work our way up a chute over there. After that, there's a ridge. And then... Cassidy, we made it. Here, give me a hand. I'll pull you up. Here. Uh, here. Uh, there. Where? Where are they? Oh, they're right over there. They... They're gone. What? Uh, what did you say, Lieutenant? Well, they... They're gone. They're right on that ledge over there. I marked it by the signs of the slide. Ah, oh, there have been lots of slides up here, Martin. You're sure that's the right one? I don't think it is. Look how the face of that cliff has had a chance to weather. It had been just a few days ago. Cassidy, I'm not sure of anything anymore. Except that we'll likely have to go back to where we swung across the canyon. That must be where we got mixed up. Oh, like... What was that? Well, oh, hubby. Not that way. Look over there. Hey, it's them. It was right here I got turned around. Coming, Captain! I brought help! We're coming right over! All right, take it easy now. Get some of this chow into it, and you'll be feeling fit as a fiddle. You're Major Apperley, aren't you? That's right, Cassidy. And I want to tell you that your arrival seems to us like a miracle. Oh, uh, Cassidy, this is Captain Duncan. Hello, hello, Cassidy. Not late for introductions, eh? But glad to meet you. Happier than I can really say. Well, how do you like our little habitation here, eh? How do you like it? Charnation, I don't see how you kept the wind from sweeping you off in here. <laughs> well, there were times when we weren't quite sure how we did it ourselves. California, where did Lieutenant Martin go? On around that abutment there, Hoppy. He said he wanted to follow this ledge clear to the end and see if there wasn't a better way of getting down than the way we came. Uh, that's a good idea. There's one more in your party, isn't there, Major? Uh, Lieutenant, wait. Martin said... I've maybe. already seen him, Hoppy. He's frostbit a little, but otherwise he's all right. I fed him a little chow and put him to sleep back in the holler there. Ah, that's fine. We won't start down before morning anyhow. Glad to see you had no real casualties, Major. Ah, uh, that'll make it a little easier going back. Hey, what was that? Sounded like someone calling you. Must have been Lieutenant Martin. He... Cassidy! Oh, Cassidy! Come here a minute, will you? Yeah, that's Martin, all right. Be right there, Martin. You'll have to excuse me, Major. You too, Captain Duncan. Of course, of course. Come on, California. Likely found the other way of getting down he was looking for. Hoppy, I get a better head for heights than I figured I had. This ain't bothering me at all no more. Uh, good. Look down there. This is a 3,000-foot drop here if it's an inch. But, uh... Wait a second. Uh, what did you say, Martin? You wait right there. There's not enough room for you around here. I'll be with you in a second. He found something all right. Yeah? Coming, Cassidy. Here I, uh... I think I found a way of getting down without swinging across. We, Martin, watch out! Oh, what the devil! No, grab something! Wait! But I can't! I can't! I'm slipping! Ah! Oh, golly, Harvey! Oh, golly! 
Give me your glasses. Here. Can you see him? Is he... Is he dead? I can see him all right. He's dead. He'd have to be after a fall like that. You can see that from here. And I was just saying I wasn't scared of accidents no more. No need to be. Huh? That was no accident, California. Martin was murdered. All right, this is as far as we go today. We're camping here for the night. Poppy, uh, Poppy, uh, you ain't give me a chance to talk to you all day now. Yesterday you said Martin was murdered. Now, uh, what do you mean by that? Just what I said, California. That was murder. But he just slipped, didn't he? Uh, I seen that myself. He was coming around that corner of the ledge there. Then his ankle turned. You and, should have uh, taken a better look at the ledge itself. Uh, uh, if you had, you would have seen the mark of a pick. Someone broke off part of the ledge and they picked between the time Martin rounded that corner and the time he came back. Well, what do you think? They're, well, they're... it might have been Major Epperly, Captain Duncan, or Lieutenant Waite. Uh-huh. Any one of the three would have had the opportunity. They say. Uh, so that's why you asked me to keep still about what you said. Yeah. Maybe one of them will betray himself. They certainly will. Wait. Wait a second, Harvey. Here, trying to sneak up and listen to us, eh? Will you? I... California, who is it? Uh, it's Lieutenant Waite. He was laying here, pretending he was asleep. He Wait a second. He is asleep, California. Let him down. Can't you see the man's exhausted? Uh-uh. We're both wrong, Hoppy. What do you mean? He wasn't eavesdropping. Neither was he sleeping, Hoppy. Look here. He's got a knife in his heart. ago, the party at the summit of icy, snow-clad Mount Diablo numbered six men. Hoppy in California and Major Epperly, Captain Duncan, and Lieutenants Waite and Martin. Now, two are gone, and Hoppy confronts the survivors. Captain Duncan, Major Epperly, Lieutenant Waite I know was murdered. Lieutenant Martin I'm sure was murdered, even though I couldn't prove it. One of you two murdered them, maybe both of you. Which one of you did it, I don't know, but I do know this. From now on, I'm taking charge. And when we get back to civilization, I'm turning both of you over to the proper authorities. Look here, man, this is preposterous. Accuse me of murder and I'll make you pay for it. I assure you, I will, I assure you. You do that. You look like you've got something on your mind, Major. Better get it off before it poisons you. I'd like to know where we stand. Am I to assume that we're your prisoners? Something like that. That's as good a way of putting it as any, I guess. But I thought I was in charge here. I dislike mentioning rank, but... Mention it all you want. I'm not in the army. Quite so. Then you have no authority. I have my authority here at my belt. Oh. California and I are the only ones who are armed. Either one of you want to question that authority? Well, as long as you put it that way, Cassidy, no. You're quite definitely in charge. But definitely. Preposterous. It's anarchy. It's preposterous. Then we're agreed. One thing more. Wade is dead, but he's our only proof that murder has been committed. So we're taking him with us. I gave California my rope. You got weight secured, California? All set, Hoppy. Good. You'll have to be lowered from this ledge to the one below us. Duncan, suppose you give California a hand. No. If you think you're making me your flunky Cassidy... What? Oh. Well, yes, sir. If you say so, Major. I do. Yes. If you need another hand, California, let us know. Oh, we'll handle this all right, Hoppy. All right now, Captain. Easy does it. Lower away now. Watch out for that ridge there. Hey! California, what is it? Hoppy! 
The rope first. My rope? Wait a second. Let me see that. Here. Here it is. It's cut. That's why the rope broke. It was cut half through. Who did this? You, Duncan? You, Epperly? If one of us had, you'd scarcely expect him to admit it, would you? No, maybe not. But you can't blame me for being interested either. This is my rope. If it hadn't broken with weight, it would have broken with me. If it broken with me, right now I'd be at the bottom of the canyon where weight is. Uncomfortable, eh? Mighty uncomfortable. Yes. But get this through your heads. Watch your steps. The next accident that happens won't happen to California and me. It'll happen to you. Everybody finished breakfast? Then I have something to announce. Today you'll do no traveling. You three will stay right here and wait till I get back. Uh, where are you going, Hoppy? I'm going to backtrack away. I have a little investigation. Uh, couldn't that wait till we got to Sulphur Valley? Too much snow and cold up here to shoot me, Hoppy. You make out, California. That bluff there gives you good protection from the wind. If I waited till we reached Sulphur Valley, my job would take longer than a day. You're going back up to Abel? Yeah. Oh, I'd not better go with you. You'll have to stay and keep your eye on our friends here. Oh. You heard that? While I'm gone, California's in charge. Do as he says. Don't try anything. If you do, you may regret it. When he has to, he can be pretty tough. Doggone right I can. I, uh, say, uh, Hoppy, do I have to stay here along with these two fellas? You can handle them, California. You'll have the only guns, you know. Something you wanted to say, Major? It's occurred to me why you might be going back, Cassidy. I'd like to say don't. You might learn too much. Could be dangerous. Thanks. Suggestion received and not acted upon. I'll let me go in now, California. Uh, Hoppy, and when you get back, you'll know which one of these two is guilty? Yes, California. I think I will. Well, well, what do you want now? I wonder what's happened to your friend Cassidy. After dark. He's been gone all day. Doesn't it occur to you that he might have had an accident? Say, uh, you think he had? I think it's very probable. Uh, if I were you, I'd... Yeah, yeah, just one of your tricks again. Well, Hoppy's told me to stay here and watch you, and here's where I'm staying. If you know the Hoppy like I do, you know he don't have no accidents. And that feller knows how to take care of himself. You just rest contented and quit trying to edge up on me. I'm contented enough. <laughs> that real part? Huh? What? Uh, that uh, thing you're humming. <laughs> that real pretty, I said. Uh, what is it? Oh, <laughs> that's one of my favorites. Like to hear it, would you? Oh, sure, sure. <clears throat> sure thing. Uh, go ahead. Sure. Pretty. Yeah. Pretty. He's asleep. I think he is. Wait a minute. Got him. Come here, give me a hand. Right. Here, here, what, what, what say? What? Hey, you fellas, leave me alone, leave me I'll alone. I'll do what he tells you if I were you, my friend. Huh? Back. 
Get back, both of you. That's right. You right there, Captain. And you stay right there against that bluff, Major. They hurt you any, California? No, I ain't hurt any, Hoppy. But I sure feel bad about this. I just fell asleep. Anyhow, the Major there was singing her. And the first thing I knowed, I... Yeah, the Major there is a pretty slick customer. I should have been back sooner, but I had things to do. Yeah, say, that reminds me, Hoppy. You find out what you wanted? You found out uh, who's behind all this? Yes, I did. Then tell me I've been aching to know which one was it. The Major there or Captain Duncan? Neither one. Uh, what? Uh, uh, what? Uh... Yeah, I thought you should... You... I said that Waite and Martin were killed by neither Epperly or Duncan. I'll explain. They... You don't have to explain. You do know the truth, don't you, Cassidy? Yes, I do. All of it. That's too bad. Who for? For you. You in California. That means you'll have to die. That's so? If you're not armed, how would you set about killing us? But I am armed. Get your hands up. Reach both of you. California, where do you get that gun? Hoppy, I don't know. Hey, one of mine's missing. That must be one of mine. Yeah. Right. You got here in time to keep us from finishing him, Cassidy. But not in time to prevent me from taking one of his guns. Sorry you have to end this way, Cassidy. But as long as it's your life and not mine, I'm naturally not as sorry as I might have been. <laughs> You're a fool, Major. No, that's wrong. You're not Major Epperly, are you? What is your real name? I don't think it matters, Cassidy. Major's good enough. I rather like the sound of it. What's your real name, Captain Duncan? That's something you'll never know, Cassidy. What did you mean about his being a fool? Just what I said. He wanted to kill us. He should have waited until morning. No one can shoot accurately by firelight, and he knows it. Talk, Cassidy, and you know it. But before I kill you, suppose you tell me what you found back up there. What you knew I'd find. The body of the real Major Epperly and his party. I'm all mixed up, Hoppy. Who's these fellers, then? If I'm not mistaken, the devil and his followers. The devil? Oh, I know that outlaw we was talking about. Right. I am right, huh, Major? Of course. What were you doing back here? Why did you kill Epperly and his men? Suppose you guess. I think I can. I have an idea that you had some of your loot hidden out on Diablo. You probably came back for it, ran into Epperly's party, and misunderstood what they were doing on Diablo. You probably thought they were after your loot. We did. We were sorry for it afterwards. But by then, the damage had been done. So you helped yourselves to their uniforms, and the slide trapped you. Right. But what put you on all this? You did. Under the circumstances, you were a little too military, and not always correctly. That suggested the truth. When I backtracked and found where you'd met Epperly and his men, I knew I'd been right. And Slim and Phillips, you know why they died? They were the men calling themselves Waite and Martin? Yes. I'll make another guess. You started getting rid of your followers so that you could have the loot to yourself. <laughs> partly right and partly wrong, Cassidy. Yeah? I see there's some things you don't understand. Shoot them, confound it. Shoot them and get it over with. That Cassidy's too smart. The longer you wait, the better chance you're giving him. Just a moment, I... right. There has been too much talk. As long as you're alive, you're dangerous. So help. Now wait, you don't understand. If you fire that snow, California down. Run for it. You started that snow slide, and I told you not to. Run. <laughs> that snow buried him. Yeah, he's a dead man. Buried under tons and tons of it. I tried to warn him, but he wouldn't listen. 
No, you don't, Mr. Stopright. What's the matter? Our friend who calls himself Captain Duncan thought this would be a good time to get away. Come here. That's right. Stop right there. Where do you think you were going? Well, the devil's dead. You saw him get buried under that snow, didn't you? It was him ordered all these killings. What do you want me for? You're sure the devil was responsible for all this? You're very sure? Of course. He gave the orders, didn't he? All the rest of us just did what he... Ha, ha, ha! I just wanted to hear you admit that you gave the orders. That's all. All right, California, tie him up. We're taking him in. Uh, him? Uh, he gave the orders? Of course. He's the fellow they call the devil. If there's any doubt about it, I think we'll find a tattoo on him to prove it. Well, I'll be doggone. So this is the devil. A hoppy, uh, wears his hoofs and fork and tail. <laughs> oh, he'll have them, California. About 15 minutes after they hang him. <laughs> That certainly was a surprise, and especially after we thought the devil had been killed. But they never fool Hoppy for long. You can be sure of that. In their next adventure, Hoppy and California meet up with the lawyer of Laredo and become involved in a feud that is as exciting as it is dangerous. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White, Jr., the Devil and El Diablo was written by Gibson Scott Fox, with original music under the personal direction of Albert Glasser. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production. Stay tuned for Father Knows Best, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Now, Father Knows Best. Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by Maxwell House. The coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house "'not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'Kathy!' "'I'm sorry, Daddy.' "'Oh, Kathy, did you drop another box of ornaments?' "'Well, they slipped.' "'They slipped, did they? "'Margaret, what's the matter with that child? "'I asked her to do a perfectly simple little <clears> thing. <throat> I... "'Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. "'Please continue. Thank you.' <laughs> 
In Springfield, the streets were all covered with snow, and lights blinked a path for St. Nicholas below. Ye gods and little fishes, now what happened? You blew out a fuse, Dad. Oh, don't be ridiculous. How could I do a silly thing like that? Easy. What? Oh, uh, I mean, uh, well, uh, I said you were putting too many lights on one circuit. Oh, you did? Well, go get a flashlight or a candle or something. How do you expect me to... <clears throat> oh, I'm awfully sorry. I assure you this wasn't intentional. Please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Andersons, gathered as snug as could be, sat waiting for Father to finish the tree. When out in the hall there rose such a clatter... I'll get it. Hello? Oh, hello, Janie. No, we're just trimming the tree. Who is it, dear? It's only Janie, Mother. Well, tell her you call her tomorrow. And come back and hear where you belong. Or do I have to trim the whole tree by myself? I'll call you tomorrow, Janie. Hmm? Oh, it's my father. He won't let anybody else touch the tree, but if you aren't there to watch, he makes out like ten men. Nine dead and one dying. <laughs> okay, Janie. Easy breezy, you'll slide a mile. You may go ahead now. You'll never know how grateful I am. All right, boys. When out in the hall there arose such a clatter. Kathy, will you please leave the presents alone? Gee whiz. When out in the hall there arose such a clatter. Oh, well, what's the difference? What I say won't matter. Go ahead, Jim. There. I guess that does it. Well, how does it look? Oh, it's... Beautiful, dear. Really beautiful. Mm-hmm. The angel's crooked. Certainly is not. That's the straightest angel I've ever seen in my life. Okay, then the tree's crooked. <laughs> but doesn't anything ever satisfy you? I'm satisfied, but I thought you'd want to know. Something's crooked. Jim, dear, it's getting late. It took me three hours to trim that tree, and what thanks do I get? Something's crooked. <laughs> I think it looks wonderful, Daddy. Thank you, Kathy. It's certainly different, Father. Thank you, Betty. It still looks crooked to me. <laughs> Jim, it's awfully late. If you're going to tell the children their Christmas story, you'd better start. They'll be up until midnight as it is. Well, maybe they just as soon not hear the story this year. Oh, no, Daddy. Please. Betty? I'd like to hear it, Father. All right. But... If the tree isn't crooked, why are all the bells cockeyed? <laughs> oh, 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 sure. I want to hear the story, Dad. Go right ahead. How does the tree look? Great, Dad. Straight as a string. All right. Now that we're all agreed that ours is the most magnificent tree in Springfield... In the whole world, Daddy. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But as long as we all agree that it's a pretty nice tree... Let's sit down and I'll begin. Now, once upon a time, about a hundred years ago, there lived in the small Danish town of Odense a man whose name, like ours, was Anderson. He was a tall man, thin and gaunt, not too pleasing to the eye. But he was a friendly man, gentle and kind, and his heart held so much love that the children of Denmark took him for their own. One cold, brisk day in December, the day before Christmas, as a matter of fact, this gentleman plodded down the main street of Odense. 
The cobble street was covered with snow, and aside from their jingling bells, the sleighs were soundless as they moved swiftly along their way. In the doorways of the snow-capped buildings, peddlers called their wares. Candles for the Christmas tree, holly to deck a festive mantle with bright red berries and verdant leaves. Yule logs for a flaming fire. Anything your fancy might desire. Mrs. Sue, speak of Mrs. Sue for your door, my dear. Mrs. Sue, Mrs. Sue. Good afternoon, Fru Meisling, and how are you this lovely, clear day? Hello, Herr Anderson. How could I be? I grow old and weary, and my bones are full of aches and pain. Old? No one is old, Fru Meisling. As long as the heart is young and the spirit is gay, no one grows old. And what about the feet? <laughs> Look, Herr Anderson. Holes in my shoes. How can your spirit be gay when you must stand in the snow with holes in your shoes? That is easily fixed. Herr Bremer has the skill of a genius. In one minute at his cobbler's bench, he can make your shoes like new. Herr Bremer, that thief, that scoundrel. Do you know, Herr Anderson, I have heard that Herr Bremer uses cardboard instead of leather. Cardboard, mind you. Room, wisely, I'm surprised. You have been looking in the hobgoblin's mirror. Ah, Herr Anderson, you and your hobgoblins. Those are fairy tales for children, not old women. Fairy tales? You think that the stories I tell are not true? Room, wisely, I am shocked. Ask any child in Denmark, and he will tell you I speak nothing but the truth. About hobgoblins? Well, perhaps I exaggerate a little. But in my stories, people do not gossip. People do not spread rumors. No one says that Herr Bremer's leather is mostly cardboard, unless they have looked in the hobgoblin's mirror. But Herr Anderson, I have been told, how else does Herr Bremer grow rich? He works hard. He is frugal. And he has a good heart. The one who told me she has a good heart, too. Then it was she who looked in the hobgoblin's mirror. Brumisling, this was an evil goblin, one of the very worst. For he was the demon himself. One day he was in a wonderful humor. For he had fashioned a mirror. A very peculiar mirror which would appeal only to a goblin of this very low order. You see, anything good or beautiful that was reflected in this mirror immediately shrank to almost nothing. But anything evil or ugly was instantly enlarged out of all proportions. That was very amusing, the demon thought. And then he had another idea, a truly evil idea. Whenever a good, kind thought passed through a person's mind, it was reflected in the mirror as a grin. And even the hobgoblins themselves had to chuckle at this artful invention. They scurried about with a mirror until there was not a country or a person in the whole world who had not appeared all twisted and misshapen in this demon's glass. And then... Then, through Risley, it happened. The hobgoblins decided to take their mirror up to heaven, too. They wanted to mock the very angels themselves. So they flew higher and higher and higher into the sky, closer and closer to the realm of angels. And the higher they flew, the larger became the grin and the mirror. The thoughts of the angels, pure and kind as a thought can be, shook the mirror so that it plummeted to earth where it was shattered into a hundred million pieces. 
And that was very sad, Fulmeister, for some of these fragments, no larger than a grain of dust, still float about the world. Each of them carries with it just a tiny bit of the hobgoblin's power. Each little piece makes one see evil where there is good, ugliness where there is beauty. Frumeisling, I think I see it now. In the corner of your eye, a tiny speck. Let me take it out. Yes, Mannier, take it out. Please, take it out. <laughs> Frumeisling, you are trembling. There's no need to be afraid. Oh, Herr Anderson, you and your stories, you make me forget. That is too bad. I wish only to make you remember. Herr Anderson, about Herr Bremer, I should not have spoken as I did. Will you forgive me? There, it's out, that evil piece of glass. You see, it's as easy as that. You are a very good man, Herr Anderson. Here, take this sprig of mistletoe. It will cost you nothing. I shall treasure it through misling to the end of my days. Oh, go away before you charm the buttons off my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Fru Meisling. And a Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Herr Anderson, and God go with you. Mistletoe, a sprig of mistletoe for your door, my name. Well, mistletoe. I'll wager I cut a handsome figure with a sprig of mistletoe pinned to my coat. Very handsome indeed. I shall say to Jonas Collin, I need no advance, you skin flint of a publisher. See? Who but a wealthy man could afford mistletoe for his coat? That's just what I'll say. Ah, yeah. Oh, well. Come in. The door's unlatched. Good afternoon, Jonas. Am I late? Yes. Late? Then when are you ever on time? Well, sprig of mistletoe. Such affluence. Oh, it is nothing. Nothing at all. Poor Fru Meisling. She gives away more than she sells. I... Uh, yes. She's a very good woman. Jonas... Sit down, my friend, please. We must have a very long talk. Then you've read my new story. Yes, I've read them. Tell me, what am I going to do with you? That isn't important. What are you going to do with my story? What can I do with them? Nothing. Jonas, if only you could understand... Understand? Hans Christian Andersen, you drive a man beyond understanding. You write like an angel. Your words have wings, and you waste them. You throw them away on this dribble. Jonas, you're not being very kind. I'm being truthful. Hans, why do you do it? Why do you persist in this foolishness? Foolishness is a point of view, my friend. I am very happy with what I write. Good. Be happy. And be poor. With your talent, with your imagination, you could write the great Danish novel. Play which would pour money into your pockets. I am happier as I am, writing the things I feel I must write. But why, Hans? Tell me, why? Must there always be a reason? All right, you shall have a reason. I am in love with all the people of all the world. And I have a message for them. A message which I can best plant in the spring, when the earth is green and the world is very young. It is a simple message, Jonas, of love and faith. And it takes root swiftly in the hearts of children. That is why I write for them. That is my life. That I shall continue to do. Now you have your reason. Hans, you are a fool. I know. Do I get my advance? All right. But only because I am a fool, too. <laughs> Good. Then the world is not lost. 
If there is a rich fool for every poor fool, all will come out right in the end. <laughs> Goodbye, Jonas, and uh, thank you for your advice. And the advance. Oh, particularly the advance. A Merry Christmas to you, Jonas. Uh, perhaps if you were to smile just once, Prue Meisling might give you a sprig of mistletoe. Merry Christmas, Hans. God go with you. Oh, my poor friend. My poor foolish friend. He thinks of nothing but good for humanity. And life gives him so little in return. His heart is so full of kindness and love. And on Christmas Eve, he is the loneliest man in all the world. stories in a book. But they are in a book. I have it. I know, Kathy. You see, he didn't really mean it. He published the stories all the time. And he sold them in every country in the world. But if the man said he wouldn't... Kathy, stop asking so many questions and let Father finish. Gee whiz. <laughs> Go ahead, dear. All right. Well, after Hans Christian Andersen left the home of his publisher... He walked slowly through the streets of Odense. He walked for hours, looking at the bright candles burning in all the windows, at the holly wreaths hanging on every door. People nodded to him as he strolled by, smiled at him and wished him a Merry Christmas. And then, after he passed, they shook their heads sadly and sighed because of his loneliness. You see, they too thought of him as a lonely man, childless and desolate. And when he reached a narrow, crooked street on the edge of the city and climbed the long staircase that led to his room, it began to seem as if perhaps the people of Odense were right. It was a very simple room, bare as a room can be. There were no rugs on the floor, no pictures on the wall, but strangely, he didn't seem to mind. A tiny fir tree stood green and shimmering in a corner and a comfortable fire burned warm and bright in the fireplace. Hans Christian hummed a cheerful song as he bustled about the room. And then, moving slowly down the narrow street, he heard the carolers come. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem. 
my friends. A Merry Christmas, Hans Christian. And a Merry Christmas to you, to all of you. May God's blessings be on you to the end of your days. Thank you, Hans Christian, and God go with you. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. How can they say I am a lonely man? What man can be lonely with friends such as these? What man can be sad on a night such as this? On every side, goodwill and peace. In every heart, love and kindness. No. If ever I am sad, it is not on the eve of Christmas Day. Ah, finally they are here. Come in. Come in, my children. children, all my children have come home to see their father. And look at you. What wonderful, wonderful children you are. How you've grown. We've missed you, Father Hans. And I've missed you, Gerta. I've missed you all. My little tin soldier. I'm a big tin soldier, Father Hans. You will always be my little tin soldier. And the nightingale. Karen, with the little red shoes. Hello, Father Hans. And the Snow Queen. How are you, Father Hans? Look at him. How my ugly duckling has grown. <laughs> Father Hans. Big Claws and Little Claws. Thumbeline. The Shepherdess and the Chimney Sweep. All of my children are here. All of them. I am the happiest father in all of Denmark. Father Hans. From all of their storybooks they have come. From nursery shelves all over the world. Father Hans. What a merry Christmas this shall be. What a merry Christmas indeed. Father Hans. Tin soldier, why must you always interrupt? I have a question, Father Hans. A very serious question I must ask. So soon, tin soldier? I thought first my children would tell me of their adventures. Of the things they have accomplished. It has been a long time, you know. Oh, all right. But we must have discipline, Father Hans. They shall speak, but I shall be in command. First, Karen of the Red Shoes. Report to Father Hans. Well, I brought warmth to the children of the world, Father Hans. Good. I taught them the folly of greed and the comfort of repentance. I spread the gospel of love and the wisdom of faith. You did well, my child. You did very well. Be quiet, Duckling. It is not your turn. Gerda, you are next. Report. Well, I walked with children in their dreams and brought them happiness. 
I taught them the beauty of devotion and the wisdom of perse Perseverance. Perseverance. That's what I did. You did wonderfully, my daughter. Wonderfully well. <laughs> Duckling, be quiet. It is still not your turn. Snow Queen, you may report, but be brief. I kissed a thousand lips, Father Hans, and turned a thousand hearts into lumps of ice. And Father Hans, I'm tired of being cruel and heartless. Why can't I be kind like the others? Because, my Snow Queen, you are vanity. You teach your own lesson. You do good in your own way. That is your fate. <laughs> Duckling, for the last time I... Wait, did... wait. Let him speak, Tin Soldier. He is so eager. Speak, my little duckling. <laughs> I see. Well, you did very well. Very well indeed. I am proud of you. Uh. <laughs> and now, Tin Soldier. Father Hans, I have a complaint. Why do I have to have only one leg? It is very inconvenient. Hmm. If I can spend all of my days in endless dancing, certainly you can stand around on one leg. Stand around? I fight a thousand battles every day. I am the most valiant soldier of them all. Valiant? Pooh. Being gobbled up by a fish? I suppose you call that valiant. Children, please, please, we must not quarrel. Soon it will be midnight, you must return to your homes. But first, I must give you your Christmas gift, the most wonderful gift I can bestow. I give you all a new little sister, the Match Girl. Welcome, little sister. Well, the Match Girl. Father Hans. Yes, Goethe. Why doesn't she say something? Can't she talk? No, Gerda, I fear not. But she carries with her a wonderful gift for the world. Three matches, which can bring wisdom and comfort to all mankind. She strikes her first match, so. And to the eyes of man are revealed all the beauties of the earth. The whisper of wind in a leafy tree. A soft crown of light on an angry cloud. Birds soaring through a clear blue sky. The surf as it pounds on a winding shore. All of these and many more our match girl brings to the world. She strikes her second match. And in its light we find truth. Here is the wisdom of man and his conscience. Here is the hope of man and his sorrow. Here is the power of man to build a world of righteousness and justice. Here is peace for all mankind, if man will but accept it. Then, the third match, the most important match of all, for it brings love. Look carefully, my children, and see what it reveals. Love of a man for a woman, of a woman for a man. Love of a parent for a child. And the love which is taught to us by God, who is our Father, the love of man for one another. Look again and see how in this love there is no prejudice. How it holds no restrictive covenants of color or creed. See how it glows in the hearts of men, worshiping in the church of their faith, whichever it may be. 
standing as equals in the sight of God. These are the lessons our match girl would teach. Now it is midnight, my children. It is Christmas Day and there's work to be done. Now go back to your storybooks, to your countless shelves throughout the world. Teach the children of the world as I have taught you. Teach them beauty. Teach them truth. And teach them that which alone will bring them into the sight of God. Teach them love. Twelve o'clock? I didn't know it was that late. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, Merry, Merry Christmas, Father. All right, now, kids, up to bed. Dad. Yes, bud? The tree looks fine. Well, of course. I knew that all the time. Good night, Father, and thank you. You're welcome, Betty. Daddy, hmm? the duck was cute. <laughs> I think you're cute, too. Good night. Good night, Kathy, dear. Jim. Yes, Margaret? It's a wonderful story. Beautiful story. It makes me want to cry. Oh, I have a better idea. I'll take my first Christmas present. A kiss. Merry Christmas, Jim. Merry Christmas, my love. To you, to me, to every family in every country, in all the world. A very Merry Christmas. And may God bless us all. To Father Anderson's Christmas wish, the makers of Post Wheat Meal would like to add their greeting. In this holiday season, may Christmas bring the most in happiness to you and yours. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Barkey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday night, for myself and for the makers of Maxwell House Coffee, let me wish you again a very merry, merry Christmas indeed, and the happiest of holiday seasons. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by Martin and Lewis. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and executive producer Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.